scripture reading is from Haggai 2, 20-23. It can be found on page 668 in your pew Bibles. Haggai 2, 20-23 The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the twenty-fourth day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, declares the Lord. And I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. So as is our practice, we turn to Scripture first and, and ask, what did God say to them in their context? And then we ask, given what he said to them, what is he saying to us in our different context, given the similarities and differences? Now, as we turn, first of all, to ask, what did God say to them? We're really looking at two questions. What did God say would happen? And when did he say it would happen? So turn with me to page 668, as we've just read. And let's look at these two questions. What What will happen? When will it happen? And then how does that shape their lives? And how does it shape their ministries? And then from that, what is God saying to us? God speaks to us through his word to them. So first we want to understand his word to them, and then we understand what God is saying to us this morning. And this is really what we're after. We're after, well, well, we we want to hear a word from God in our situation. God speaks to them, and through his word to them, he speaks to us. So we look at what he said to them, and then what he's saying to us today. Haggai, chapter 2, verses 20 to 23. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day declares the Lord Almighty. I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Sheatil, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, which I have chosen. For for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. What is going to happen? Notice all these action verbs, all these expressions. I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones. I will shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and the riders will fall each by the sword of his brother. I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel. I will make you like my signet ring. What will happen? Here's a portrait of God as a warrior. Occasionally in the Old Testament, God is pictured as going to battle. Mostly, he goes to battle for his people. God straps on armor, picks up his sword, and attacks the enemies of his people. Occasionally, when his people become his enemy, then he goes to war against them. But mostly, 
reflexively, the first response is God fights on behalf of his people. And so he says, I'm going to, sh-, and this is portrayed in, in eschatological terms, this is portrayed in cosmic terms. God overthrows, oh, God shakes the heavens and the earth. And so, verse 22, I will overturn royal thrones. He, he, God is saying that he will attack the superpowers that are afflicting Israel. I will shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. All these invaders that have attacked Israel and overpowered it, God's going to shatter them. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Do you remember this language, where it comes from? Some of you may pick up the association. When Israel was captive, was enslaved in Egypt, and then Moses came and delivered Israel and led Israel out of Egypt, and they came out on foot. And then Pharaoh, who had agreed to let them go because of all the plagues, then Pharaoh had a change of heart. And he loaded up his soldiers and he loaded up his chariots and they went chasing after Israel. And remember when Israel was, in front of Israel was the Red Sea, behind them was the Egyptian army. And it looked like they were facing imminent destruction. And then God intervened. And afterwards Moses celebrated it in a song. And he used these words. He overthrew chariots and their drivers. What Haggai is promising his readers is that as they're victimized by these superpowers all around them, as they're facing punishment from powers that are too great for them to conquer, what Haggai is promising his people is that God will intervene. God will come as a warrior. He will come like he did in Egypt. And then he makes the promise to Zerubbabel. Now notice how Zerubbabel is described in verse 22, verse 21. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah. See, Zerubbabel is a descendant of David. Zerubbabel is not supposed to be governor. He's a descendant of David. What's Zerubbabel supposed to be? He's supposed to be a king. Not a governor. But at this time, Israel, or Judah, was occupied by a foreign superpower. And so they were reduced to a vassal state. And so their king, purported king, was reduced to being a governor. And what does God say to Zerubbabel? I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Sheatiel, and I will make you like my signet ring. Here's what, God, what a signet ring is. The king would wear a ring that identified him, that authorized him. And so when he would publish a document, he would stamp the document with his ring. They said, this comes from the highest authority in the land. So what God is promising him is, one day you will not just be a governor. One day you will take your rightful place as king. But not just Zerubbabel as king. See, Zerubbabel is just the signet ring on the hand of the king. Yahweh is the king. And God is telling Zerubbabel, he's telling Haggai, he's telling the people of Israel that he is the rightful king, not these superpowers and their emperors or their dictators. God is the rightful king and one day he's going to intervene and he's going to exercise his kingship and he will do it through Zerubbabel, he will do it through Israel and Israel will no longer be invaded, they will no longer be the the little power that gets beaten up, they will now be the power that rules the world, or God will rule the world through Israel. This is a promise of a great future. 
What will happen? Many different ways of saying this one thing. God will reign. God will take charge of his world. And he will reign over his world. And everything will be done according to his will. And all people will acknowledge his authority. And he will reign through Israel. That's what will happen. Now notice the second piece of it is when will it happen? If you look back at 2, 1 to 19. Notice 2, 1. In a little while, God says, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth. Verse 15. From this day on, verse 18, from this day on, verse 19, from this day on, no, verse 19, from this day on I will bless you, God tells the people. What's happened is, God, the people are suffering, you know, their lives are impoverished, and the work they're doing for God isn't proving all that effective, we'll look at that in a moment, but their lives are difficult, their lives are difficult, their personal lives are difficult, and their ministries are difficult. And God says it's because of your sin. And then they repent. And so God says to them, look, from this day on, from this day on, from this day on, he says it in 2.15, 2.18, and 2.19. But now, what does he say? 2.23. On that day, not this day anymore, on that day. And this expression is crucial to understanding when God will act. On that day, you know the, the the joke is often said of Hispanic culture. If you if you get the word, you know you're asking, say a, a craftsman, when the job will be done, and if he speaks Spanish and he says mañana, what does mañana mean? Yeah, theoretically it means tomorrow. Practically, what does it mean? Not today. And you don't really have much idea when it's actually going to happen. It's just tomorrow means not today, some point in the future. And suddenly, Haggai shifts from, from this day on. Now he shifts to on that day. And it's not just Haggai. But this phrase becomes part of the Old Testament theology. Zechariah wrote at the same time Haggai did. They, were, they had a ministry at the same time. They were written about the same time. And notice how Zechariah uses this phrase, on that day. On that day, when all the nations of the earth are gathered against her, I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock for the nations. All who try to move it will injure themselves. Zechariah 12.4 On that day, I will strike every horse with panic and every rider with madness. Zechariah 12.6 On that day, I will make the clans of Judah like a fire pot in a wood pile, like a flaming torch among sheaves. Zechariah 12, 8. On that day, the Lord will shield those who live in Jerusalem. Zechariah 12, 9. On that day, I will set out to destroy all the nations that attack Jerusalem. Zechariah 12, 11. On that day, the weeping in Jerusalem. Zechariah 13, 1. On that day, a fountain will be opened. Zechariah 13, 2, and 13, 4, and 14, 4, and 14, 6, and 14. On that day, on that day, on that day, on that day, on that day. And what it means is two things. It's going to happen. You can count on it. But it's not going to happen today. When will it happen? 
we have to wait and see. It's going to happen. Things will be different. But when? We don't know exactly. It's some day in the future. See, what the prophets are doing is this. If you go all the way back to the early days of Israel, God said, I'm bringing you to the land and I'm going to bless you. And as long as you're obedient to me, I will continue to bless you. And your lives will go well. And no enemies will attack you and you'll be rich and you'll be prosperous and, and you'll be harmonious and you'll have good uh, social life and a good political life. But, he says, if you turn away from me, then I will no longer bless you. And all those blessings you have, you'll lose them. And your enemies will invade you and you'll have civil war in your midst and you'll lose all your wealth and, and you'll suffer. And worse comes to worse, if you persist, then I'm going to bring you into exile. I'm, I'm judgment. You'll lose not only my blessings, but you'll lose my presence. I'll send you away to another country. And God did that. Because Israel did that. God did that. Israel disobeyed God. And eventually, after hundreds of years, God sent them away into exile. But then the prophet said, look, when you're in exile, if you turn to me again, if your suffering makes you desperate and you call out in prayer, you turn to me in exile, I, I will deliver you. You'll be my people again. I'll bring you back to your land and it'll be glorious. You'll be wealthy, you'll be prosperous, you'll be safe. The temple will be big and glorious again. It'll be a wonderful time. And so just before Haggai was written, the people were in exile and they were suffering. By the waters of Babylon, we sat down and wept. You know the song. And so they repented. And God brought them back to the land. But here's the thing, where we pick up with Haggai, where we saw from Haggai 1. God brought them back to the land. And it wasn't glorious. They were subsistence farmers. When the rains didn't come, they didn't have food. It wasn't glorious. God brought them back to the land. And, and at first he rebuked them for not building the temple. But then they started to build the temple. And they're discouraged because they're building the temple. But their lives are hard. And this temple is kind of wimpy compared to the old temple they heard stories about. God had said, I'll bring you back to the land. And I'll restore your fortunes and your well-being and your wealth. And I'll, you'll rebuild this temple and it will be a great and glorious temple. And you won't even think about the old temple. And they couldn't stop thinking about the old temple. Because it was supposed to be glorious. Their lives were supposed to be comfortable. Their ministry was supposed to be glorious. And it wasn't happening. And so the latter prophets at that time gave them two promises, like Haggai does. From that day on, from the day you return to me, I will bless you. Or from this day on. From this day on, I will bless you. And yet... That's only halfway there. Because there's another time frame they introduce. What he's telling them is you'll have some blessing now, but it won't be great and glorious until that day. And he introduces a new perspective, a long-distance perspective, a long-distance time frame where he says, on that day, all these glorious things will happen. It's a recognition that life now 
is not entirely right. Even under the blessing of God, life is not entirely what it should be like. Bad things happen. People suffer. Sometimes people afflict each other with suffering. Sometimes Christians afflict each other with suffering. We hassle each other. Sometimes our marriages are hard. Sometimes it's our jobs that are hard. Sometimes life is just hard. Sometimes our kids struggle. Life is not entirely right. And in that kind of a context, Haggai says two things. And the later prophets all said two things. God is blessing, even though things aren't all right. Not everything is right, not everything is glorious. God is still engaged with you. He is still blessing you. And they say one other thing. Look forward. Look up. Look ahead. Because on that day, there is a day coming. And on that day, it will be truly spectacular, truly astounding, truly unforgettable, truly glorious. On that day, maybe not this day, but on that day, and so Haggai says to Zerubbabel, on that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I'm blessing you now, but on that day, I will take you and I will make you like my signet ring. God says, I will intervene into world history. I will intervene into your nation's history. I will intervene into your personal life. And I will set all things right again on that day. It tells us that there is hope. The future will be far more glorious than the present. It also warns us, alerts us, that there will be tough times sometimes in this life. Sometimes in our personal life. Sometimes there will be tough times in our ministries. Sometimes in our nation's history. They faced it all in Haggai's today. And God's word to them was, in the midst of these struggles, in the midst of this disappointing ministry, in the midst of their domination by foreign empires, God's word to them is two things. I will bless you now. And on that day, you'll see a whole new world. That's what God was saying to them. Acknowledging, recognizing that the world is not entirely right. But here's the thing. One day, he says, one day, he will fix it. Not today. But one day, that day. Now, that's what God was saying to them as they suffered through poverty, as they suffered through disappointment in ministry, as they suffered through foreign domination. That's what God was saying to them. A better day is coming. You know, we sang about that in one of these songs, right? We sang about that better day. I will rise when he calls my name. No more sorrow, no more pain. I will rise on eagle's wings before my God, fall on my knees. I will arise. And that's the message, really, of Haggai to his audience. A better day is coming. A great day. That day. Now, what does he say to us? How does this become God's word for us? We are further along. Let me show you one thing. Any of you, maybe if you know your Bibles really well, Maybe if you've got a little OCD about Bible study, then you, then you remember the name Zerubbabel from somewhere else. Where else does the word, the name Zerubbabel appear? The genealogy, this is why you've got to be OCD, the genealogy for Jesus. 
Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3. Who is in Jesus' genealogy? 